0: In partnership with 2SER, the Walkley Talks podcast presents the latest episode of 4th Estate, a weekly program about the media featuring Australia's leading journalists. Broadcast live each Monday at 6.30pm on 2SER 107.3.
1: Hello and welcome to 4th Estate, the media and current affairs panel show on 2SER and the community radio network for the week beginning March second, 2015. On today's show, we're celebrating International Women's Day, so we'll be taking a look at female faces and voices in the media landscape. We'll also discuss how the media can properly talk about family violence and what went right in the coverage of the Martin Place siege. I'm Lucy Robson, and joining me in the studio, Sarah Lamarquin, Opinion Editor at The Daily Telegraph. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Lucy. Reporter and presenter at The Feed on SBS2, Jeanette Francis. Hello. Hello. And on the phone, we have writer, comic and TV presenter, Gretel Colleen. Are you there, Gretel? Yes, I am. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can use Twitter. Our handle is at 4th Estate AU, all one word. Now, each year for International Women's Day, which is on the 8th of March, on the program, we take a closer look at what women in Australian media are getting up to. I'm going to ask our panellists, can you tell me about some achievements by women in media that have really caught your attention over the past year? I'll start with you, Jeanette.
0: Uh, yeah, well, I, I think the the, um, the Women in Media sort of mentoring program that's been set up just a, about a year ago has been the really big one for me and it almost boggles the mind to think that something like this hadn't been set up sooner, really. Um, so I, I think for for me that's that's an achievement in itself because it's not only a recognition of there actually being a need for young women in, in, in the Australian media landscape to be
2: mentored but uh, but really starting to provide that. Cool. What about you, Gretel? It's really interesting listening to this concept of mentoring, which I completely respect, but is actually quite alien to people of my generation. Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, you you got up and you did your own thing. This was before the word networking was invented as well. Um, so it's fascinating to think that you would take someone under your wing. Then I thought about it, and of course, well, that's what we've all been doing for a long time. But now it's got this kind of official label. I mean, you used to call it friendship and guidance, um, is it more necessary now and is it actually achieving anything? I mean, if we go on tonight and talk about women's pay and, and women's rights and violence against women, it'll be interesting to see, does women having a louder voice in the actual presentation of media actually make any difference to women in society on the ground?
1: Okay, well, uh, we'll start talking about that right away. Uh, but mm. firstly, I'll ask Sarah, um, have you uh, had advice from mentors in your career so far, or, no, or are you a mentor to younger female journalists?
3: Uh, yes, I think I am. I was um, part of the launch of the the Women in Media program, and this conversation came up at the time. Have you had a mentor? And I said at the launch, well, I. I did but uh, actually it was a, a male editor so I had never really <laughs> had a female mentor but I would certainly like to think that uh, certainly in the last year or so of, of uh, my position as opinion editor at the Daily Telegraph I've definitely been able to mentor a lot of young women and in terms of um, I think the very valid point that Gretel makes that well, what does it mean it's all well and good to get together but what actual tangible results are we seeing yeah. I can say that that the representation of female columnists and the op-ed pages at the Daily Telegraph has increased by about 240% wow. in the last 12 months. So we've seen a very real, uh, non-academic, non-hypothetical result there. And I think it's like that conversation... Uh, reminded me of once David Koshkin very heated on air on sunrise and saying why do women want to go into you know the men's clubs the business clubs Mm. you know why can't the men just have them I was like well Because men already, that's how society works. We've got men's clubs everywhere. And so that's why it's important that women infiltrate that because men are actually networking all the time. They might not call it networking. They might not call it mentoring. But those are relationships that men are naturally encouraged to pursue. And I think sometimes women might need to put these mantles on it that feel a bit forced but that's hopefully a way of facilitating it to become more organic.
0: Can I can I just make a point um, on course. on Gretel's point when she was sort of saying you know what, again what what does it mean to have that mentorship? I was actually I've never had a mentor, and I'm sort of speaking you know on on behalf of the mentorship program yet have never really had one. But I think what what it's done for me particularly in the last year is kind of strengthened this idea that there are like minded women out there who you can rely on if you need to, and that's. I I think that that's given well it's certainly given me but I think it's given other younger women particularly in the media I guess just that little bit more confidence just to say if you do need anything there's someone there who has gone through perhaps what you might be going through now who is ready and willing to help you and you might not want to take them up on that but that's there and that's been a source of strength for me I think.
1: Uh, there have been a lot of stories this week about the gender pay gap in Australia, which is apparently uh, at its worst in the last 20 years, and women working in the broad arts category have it pretty much the worst. Uh, has this been your experience working in media? Um, Gretel?
2: Well, I personally don't think of the media as being the arts, um, because the arts I think of as as... Um, because I do work in the arts, I think of that as theatre, comedy, um, painting, music, and I can absolutely tell you it is expected that everyone in the arts, because they do it out of joy, um, and the pursuit of happiness should live on a loaf of bread, and people, when they get a lot of money, ironically, purchase these people's art and put it on their walls. So I don't really understand. I think our society completely does not respect artists. Um, and I think maybe that's why also women in nurturing and caring roles traditionally receive a lot less money, because it seems to be that if it is something that's kind or from the heart, uh, where I'm willing to acknowledge it financially.
1: Uh, Jeanette and Sarah, um Do women working in media earn less than men working in media? Is that still the case?
3: Yes, it is very much so the case in um, my experience and what I've seen across all the mediums, television, radio and print. And uh, I think it might be because a lot of people in journalism these days think, well, I'm lucky to have a job. And Mm. often their employers are telling them that. And unfortunately, that's something that women across all sectors have a tendency to do, oh, I'm just sort of lucky to have a job, don't want to rock the boat, don't want to be seen as that pushy girl by asking for more money. This is something that comes up time and time again when talking about why this this pay gap not only exists, but why it's actually intensifying. So I think, unfortunately, there is a, a, a regretful uh, collision, if you like, of these two traits that mm. both the media and women in general Tend to be um, vulnerable to exploitation in that, well, you're lucky to have a job. Yeah. There
2: is that, but there's also, sorry to interrupt. No, but, go um, on. There is that issue where publications, um, all of the news outlets, are disregarding journalists uh, who are freelance, many of whom are female. But, you know, I myself was recently thought that I'd been commissioned to write an article and was then told no, it was on spec. This is after writing 30 years as a professional and my writing style being very well known. Two days of work goes into it and somebody decides that it's not what they wanted and you don't get paid. I know a girl who was formally receiving $2,000 for her articles, and now gets 50 cents a word. So I think there's a lot of greed from management as well there seems to be this notion that their profit line needs to be higher. And the only way you can do that is if somebody else is financing it. And that can tend to be the women if they've got freelance work or they're working two or three days a week because they're
0: nurturing their family. Yeah, I mean, on, on that point, I think when we talk about the gender pay disparity, you know, it's not like two people go in for a job interview and one's a man and one's a woman and they say to the man, oh, we're going to pay you more because you're a man. It, it's not that explicit. But what ends up happening is, you know, it's it's been studied time and time again that women are less confident in things like board meetings, for example, so they're less likely to put their hand up, so they're less likely to get promoted. They take maternity leave and then when they come back because they've been out of the work, workforce for however many numbers of years you know they might not get their job back or they might get a lesser job than a man that stayed in the workforce so it ends up being this accumulation of things where you end up at the end of the line earning less than a man for doing essentially the same work and I think there needs to be a lot of um, policy restructure along those various steps to ensure that we don't end up there at the end where women are being paid less
1: that you've done some investigation into the gender pay gap in Hollywood, of all places. Uh, And once I saw that, I realised that for my whole entire life, I've been watching movies with (laughs) um, male characters. And TV shows about male characters and what's happening in their lives. And as it turns out, the men acting in these actually get paid more than the women. Did you find that really surprising? And why is this still happening in 2015? I, I kind of did find that surprising. I found that
0: um, of the of the Best Picture nominees, just, just sort of a quick recap, of the Best Picture nominees this year... Um, there were eight, I think, and two of them passed the Bechdel test, which is essentially having two female characters where they speak to each other about something other than man. And that seems like a pretty rudimentary thing. <laughs> so two out of eight passed. And I think it's because the, the, the girl in the story, Sarah, said something, you know, really sort of poignant that we're – but that male stories are all of our stories we are all used to hearing male stories as being the status quo, and so we we see nothing wrong with that. So we see nothing necessarily wrong in pointing that out. Whereas when men are forced to hear, or or there's an abundance of of women's stories, that's almost seen as as coming, as as an other, as another type of story. Where, whereas it's not. Um, and so there was an element of surprise in say the, the 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 films that were nominated for best picture, but I wasn't too surprised in that such a pay gap exists, it exists on every level when you're talking about women in any workforce, so why should Hollywood be an exception to that?
2: Well, we do need to factor in that Hollywood is a business and these things are all about economics. And one of the things that seems to also be in our society is that it's okay for women to go to men's films, which means there'll be a greater profit, than for men to go to what is colloquially referred to as a chick flick. So already that prejudice in our society where we can't hear half the population's stories without our males looking like a bunch of Nancys means that your profit is going to be less if it's about women and that is a disincentive to pay women the wages if they're not going to earn the big bucks back.
0: But yet there's there's movies like Frozen and movies like The Hunger Games that are very fe- that have these very strong female-centric characters that do pull in the money. So if if you want to you can bring that money in. It's just a matter of what changes first is it the money that's coming in or do we sort of say no, we want to see more female-centric movies and then that's what brings in the revenue.
3: Well, it's something yeah. that often comes up at the Oscars, I think Kate Blanchett brought this up last year when she won for best lead actress and she made the point, which I completely agree with, is that every time there is a a runaway box office hit that stars women or is tailored for female audiences, all the execs go, wow, who knew that women went to the movies? And it's like this crazy goldfish scenario where they seem to forget every time. And yes, I'm sure everyone will be horrified that I'm bringing up Fifty Shades of Grey here. But whatever you think of it, and I didn't think very much of it, but it is a product that is aimed at women, and it's women that are going to see that film in Australia and around the world. Yes, we should be doing better for women, but it's further proof that women are indeed prepared to pay to go to the movies. So, if you yeah, it's good enough for Fifty Shades of Grey. Let's make some good films that are going after that demographic.
2: It'd be interesting to know though uh, what the difference in income was for the male lead and the female lead. Well, yeah, I, I, wow. I- <laughs>
0: I think mm. that the highest uh, the highest paid male actor is Robert Downey Jr., who who earned $77 million last year, and his female yes. counterpart, Sandra Bullock, earned fifty two.
2: Now, so why do you say her female counterpart? Because she was the leading female.
0: Yes, because yeah, cause she was mm. the, the actress that earned the most money. in, in Right, in not tw-
2: because she was within the same film. I mean, he is part no. of the franchise, which she isn't. No. i just like to throw in there, too, just for no apparent reason, but to talk about myself, When I first started doing voiceovers, which is a long time ago, so 30 years ago, women received one-eighth of the work that men did uh, because it was perceived that women didn't have any authority in their voices, one, and two, men didn't like hearing women telling them what to do on the radio or television.
1: Um, I want... This is a perfect time for me to ask you, Gretel, about your web series um, where you're the Minister for Men... Um, I just want to know what kind of response you've got for that and whether it's really touched a nerve. It's very funny Uh, at the same time. Well,
2: thank you for saying it's mine, but it's actually not. It's commissioned by um, the Opera House for All About Women, which is a big day uh, for International Women's Day at the Opera House. Casey Anning came up with the concept. She's a young, thing, fabulous. Um, And then I came in and co-wrote it and started Minister for Men. And it was such a lesson, I have to tell you, Lucy, All the panels I've sat on in my life, and I think the other girls will relate to this, where we've talked about really serious things and proactive things, and we've been so well-informed and so intelligent, and here we were being a few geese sitting in an office pretending to be politicians, (laughs) and it resonated, and it reminded me, in a life-changing kind of way, of the power of humour. And it fascinated me to see how many people related to this, that wanted to laugh at it and simply hadn't had the medium to do it and share it.
1: My name's Lucy Robson and you're listening to Fourth Estate, our special show for the occasion of International Women's Day with Sarah Lamarquin, Jeanette Francis and Gretel Colleen. Last week, Q&A on ABC dedicated an episode to the issue of family violence in Australia. It was an intense hour of discussion featuring guests who have worked in community services in various capacities, including Australian of the Year, Rosie Batty. But as soon as the panel was announced, people were pretty divided about the gender makeup, including host Tony Jones, there were twice as many men as women. On a panel that was set to discuss something that has killed 14 women already in Australia this year. There was quite a lot of controversy about this. Um did you have any issues with the gender ratio of the panel, Sarah?
3: No, not at all. I thought that controversy was absolutely ridiculous and so patronising and, you know, let's focus on the very important issue that's being discussed rather than getting into yet another adolescent Twitter brawl. Unfortunately, this is, it's sort of the adversarial nature of how viewers of Q&A respond to the show and that there's goodies and baddies. And so everyone has to pick a side. And when you have a panel like that where there's not one person from each of the major parties but they're there to discuss an issue, the only way that viewers that like to engage with the show in this sort of gladiatorial way is to put people in boxes like they're deserving to be there and they're not look, if we're going to take domestic violence seriously in terms of tackling it as a society, men have to be engaged. They simply do. I would have thought as a female who feels very strongly about this issue that having an all-female panel would have been patronising. And you know what? As someone that's been on Q&A twice, I can tell you the panel is always heavily weighted towards men over women. So if people want to feel strongly about it, don't just reserve that for the week that they're talking about a so-called women's issue, because it's not a women's issue. It's a human rights issue. And if we're going to fight for equal representation, well, that applies every single week of the show, not just last week, which I actually thought it was a fantastic panel. And I think anyone watching it would have agreed that Rosie Batty was a standout a guest on the show, and I don't think she needed any gender ratio to swing it in her favour.
0: So was Natasha Stott spoiler as well. She She, was amazing. she killed it. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Greta, what were your thoughts on this?
2: I agree with Sarah. I think that sometimes we get people who are, actually don't know what their opposition is. It's true. They just feel they must oppose something, and, and I think that was a little, little thought in regards to this because one of the things we do know, which was pointed out, but is actually as though it was unacceptable, it is unacceptable, but a truth at the moment, that men aren't necessarily going to listen to a whole lot of women talking about their circumstance. And I thought that that balance of women intelligently talking about circumstances and men who are the ones who are going to change male behaviour, having a voice, the, the the ultimate things we need are for women who are in these abusive situations to know it is not normal. It is not acceptable and to seek help and we need to understand why men do this and we know sometimes it's women but why people do this and how we can stop it. I thought it was a fabulously effective panel and I don't always think Q&A is fabulous but I thought this one was.
1: How do you think the conversation about family violence or domestic violence has shifted in the public sphere in recent years Jeanette?
0: Well, I I think we're certainly engaging um, both men and women a little bit more on the issue. And I think, um, especially recently, uh, in the the last year or so, there's been, people are getting really fed up, I feel, with victim blaming and victim shaming. And this idea that the onus of responsibility is on women. Canada, for example, came up with these really effective um, anti-rape ads, which asked one key question or rather made one key point and that key point was don't be that guy and there was nothing about women there was nothing about anybody wearing a short skirt there was nothing about anybody drinking too much alcohol there was nothing about somebody leaving a park at 10 o'clock at night to walk home on her own it was don't be that guy because the only thing that is going to stop violence against women and and rape against women or sexual violence against women is the rapists and
2: you, i mm, sorry Keep going. Sorry, I thought you'd finished. Oh, yep, I have now. <laughs> <laughs> Did you also see the video from Italy um, where the little boys were asked to say what they loved about this girl? She was standing there and, oh, I love her hair. It was a bit weird, I must say, but they were only young boys. And then the interviewer said, now hit her. And all each of the little boys in turn said, no, no, you don't hit women. You don't do that. I can't hurt a girl. So, and, and so it's in the same way that, that you're talking about, Janet, was was about making it the male responsibility mm. and the story of the male.
0: Mm. I think I think that that is really important, and I think to move on, there needs to be um, an emphasis on on real real responsibility, and that doesn't lie on how damn short or long my skirt is.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to ask everyone uh, on the panel, uh, my impression of the show, which was a really interesting panel, was that there was um, about 15 different variations on the question, why doesn't the woman leave and how can we make it easier for women to leave? And um, hardly any discussion of the question, why do men um, abuse women? Was that anyone else's impression? I, I
0: Again, it just, it comes down to that almost, it's an almost subconscious emphasis an almost subconscious turning of the question and the story back to women. Well, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you react to what was happening rather than why the f was what was happening happening? You know, and and you know, like I said, I've been feeling pretty optimistic. Um, the stats don't back it. I understand, but there is an optimism that there's it's, it's it's enough. Enough is enough in terms of the blame on 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 women in situations like this. See I don't
3: think the two questions are mutually exclusive. I agree with what Jeanette said. It's very important not to indulge in victim blaming. And the first question should not be, why didn't you leave? It should be to the perpetrator, why did you put your so-called loved ones in this position? But that said, I do think there's a very legitimate conversation to have, not to women, but with women, in that, well, why didn't you leave? What can we do to better arm you? And, of course, there was discussion last year with changing the laws in Victoria about family violence where pressure is put on anyone, a relative that knows about it, that you, it's like uh, mandatory reporting, that you actually have to go to the authorities with that and that is just trying to put vulnerable children at the centre of this. And that law, I should say, didn't include women it didn't include partners so it didn't say that a mother who failed to report an abusive partner to protect a child would be jailed because she would be exempt from that but i think it is a legitimate conversation to have because children in particular are so vulnerable that it's every human being's first priority has to be to protecting a child who has no choice you can't say to a child why didn't you why didn't you leave because they don't even have that choice it's a
2: it's a really difficult one too because um for anyone who's been in that situation, I think they will probably relate to what I'm saying in that being a victim, you often do think it is your fault that you did something wrong and you want to do it better and you want to change things. Sometimes you actually do love the person who's hurting you, Mm. uh, which makes it very hard to leave. And the other thing is people who are very aggressive and violent are not necessarily like that all the time. So you can have a loving, nurturing person who then might turn... And this is chaos for someone's mind who's the victim of this. Like making head or tail of that is a really difficult thing. And so I think it's not just a case of, gee, you should be strong enough to go. It's a really complex thing that can be very hard to understand. And you don't have to come from any particular socioeconomic bracket to be a victim of it. Yeah. And to be in love with someone who hits you and not leave them,
0: I think. I think we can't we can't separate in um, inequality between men and women from the violence that occurs. I think underlying violence against women is this idea that, you know, that as men we're we're almost better than women or we're entitled to hit them. It's okay to be violent. And of course, I'm not saying that you know all men are like this. I'm just saying that that's an underlying idea that that. Would go through one's mind when they would perpetrate such a violent and, and heinous thing on somebody else. There's a lack of respect and a lack of kind of acknowledging the equality that would exist between the two sexes.
1: You're listening to Fourth Estate on to SCR. My name's Lucy Robson and I'm joined by Gretel Colleen, Sarah Lamarquin, and Jeanette Francis. Um, we've got a couple of minutes left, so I just want to talk about what. Maybe you'd like to see change over the next year on the occasion of International Women's Day, Um, particularly for women in media, but uh, for women in Australia. Um, I might start with Gretel. Oh,
2: no, I have to go last because I haven't thought about anything.
1: (laughs) Okay, anyone else got any ideas? (laughs)
0: I'd like to see men's attitudes change, I think. If we're talking about change that needs to happen somewhere, I think it needs to start... um, with men and and with how they perceive, you know, women's bodies and, and, and women's lives.
3: I would like to see um, a less partisan discussion about sexism in Australia, particularly when it comes to politics. I, I'm someone that was quite outspoken about what I perceive to be the sexist treatment of Julia Gillard when she was Prime Minister. But I also have seen it with conservative politicians. We've seen it with Julie Bishop. We've seen it also um, with Sophie Mirabella, a very polarising and divisive and uh, in many quarters unpopular person who, of course, lost her seat at the last federal election and the same language that was used to describe Julia Gillard, the witch, and uh, other, you know, rhyming variations on that was was very widespread. And yet, when you call people out on it, they go, "Oh, well, no, it's not sexism. I just didn't like it." But when it's said at a woman that they like, they they will stand up and call it as, as sexism. I'd like to see more maturity in Australia. Um, I realise I'm focusing on politics here, but obviously that has such a, a trickle down effect on on women all throughout the community. And I'd like to see, as Julie Gillard once said, that we all call out sexism wherever we see it, even if it's coming from someone whose views we don't necessarily share. Or someone in Hollywood that makes,
0: you know, $55 million a year, their plight, uh, them doing the same work and putting in the same amount of time as a man and not receiving the same amount of A, recognition and B, pay is something worth speaking about, even though this is a really elite group of women, I think across all um, tiers mm. and, and
3: yeah. tiers, that's
0: okay. the word. But,
2: Gretel, quickly... Well, actually, that was a really interesting argument because one of the things that that was revealed by those statistics was that people of Afro-American descent, I think, were getting something like 70 cents in the dollar, men or women, and Hispanic women were getting 53 cents. So it's interesting. I mean, if we're going to be fighting for women's rights, I still feel we should be fighting for everyone because it's equal rights for everybody and recognition for that. And I wish some women would stop fighting the cause themselves, fighting against it. I don't really understand that. I think we're all in it together and we're stronger together. Definitely.
1: Um, however, we are all out of time. So thank you very much to my panellists, Sarah LaMarquin from The Daily Telegraph, Jeanette Francis from SBS2 and Gretel Kaline. and happy International Women's Day. You too.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of 2SCR's Fourth Estate. Fourth Estate can be heard live each Monday at 6.30pm on 2SER 107.3 and at 2 scrcom Check out the program description for links to follow 2 scr and Fourth Estate. You can subscribe to Walkley Talks on iTunes and follow the Walkleys on Twitter and Facebook to be the first
2: to know about upcoming Walkley's news and events.